Action Network Podcast. 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 If you are even remotely a savage, you'll run these people over in a second. Oh! Welcome to the Action Network podcast presented by the FanDuel Sportsbook. Brendan Glasheen joined today by Sean Zarillo and Billy Ward. You know what that means. UFC betting preview. We're breaking down UFC 289. Goes down this weekend from the Rogers Arena in Vancouver, Canada. Five main fights. We've got six prelims. And we'll be doing quite a bit on the pod today. We're going to look through underdogs, look at the prop market, Sean and Billy have identified a fight of the night that they want to break down more extensively, and we will get to final bets before we wrap it up. Same deal as usual. But first, as always, we start with the main event. We have Amanda Nunez uh, at minus 350 on the money line over at FanDuel. Aldana's price has risen to plus 260, uh, looking at the FanDuel Sportsbook. Uh, we've got Billy Ward's uh, luck ratings as well for UFC 289. We'll dive into those throughout the podcast and see where those fit. So I look forward to that. And of course, follow the guys on the app if they add anything uh, after the pod today or uh, before the fights get underway on Saturday. Okay, Zarillo, of course, we've got a significant favorite here. So if you're a listener, you're trying to find a way to not have to lay a lot of juice. If you like the favorite, what's a way you'd like to bet this and how do you break it down? Yeah, I'm going to back Irene Aldana here at around plus 250. I made the line closer to plus 225, roughly 30% for her in terms of her win probability here. So getting her closer to 27%, 28%. I think you take a small stab pre-fight, but I'm also going to look to add more potentially live after rounds two and round three if she's still hanging around and still in the fight. Amanda Nunes for her career, just seven and four after the first round. Never finished an opponent past the eight-minute mark. Never finished a UFC opponent after round one. So if you survive round one with her, you can get back into the fight. Juliana Pena did that. Other opponents have been able to stay moderately competitive with her in the past. Valentina Shevchenko winning down the stretch. But Amanda's biggest discrepancy is her cardio. And getting her in 25-minute fights, I think she is slightly vulnerable. She has multiple ways to win this fight, potentially in a dominant fashion. Obviously, that round one finish with her big power advantage, big physicality edge that she has over the most of the fighters that she goes up against. But also, I think she can land takedowns fairly consistently here and maybe rack up a lot of top time over the course of 25 minutes. So even if it does extend beyond that first round, I think Nunes can win it with consistent wrestling, getting on top of her opponent and holding her there. But but if Irene Aldana is able to get up from those takedowns, she forces Amanda to work to get those takedowns. If she survives that first round, just like Juliana Pena did in the first fight, Amanda is going to eventually wear down. And I think Irene Aldana is the better technical striker. So if... Amanda starts to tire, that power starts to dissipate. She can't get the takedowns, and then they're standing at striking range. I think Aldana may be able to have some success here down the stretch, winning minutes, being the superior technical boxer, not just winging power shots, which Amanda tends to do and just has the advantage over most of her opponents. Juliana Payne, last fight, very sloppy. Amanda picked her apart, but I think Aldana could be much more measured in her approach in terms of how she approaches the striking. So, I'll take a small stab pre-fight in Aldana, but I'm really looking to add more live. As I said, after rounds two or round three, Nunez seven and four in her career after round one, one finish up to the eight minute mark and no others beyond round one. 
And Nunez has won 13 of her last 14 heading into the weekend. And then Aldana victorious in her last two by knockout and TKO respectively. Um, Billy looking at your luck ratings, you think this fight is fairly valued, at least the price uh, that you can get at FanDuel right now, or when you shop around, of course. But we're looking at FanDuel uh, for our purposes here. What do you think? What do you want to do? Yeah, this is a tough one. I'm going to pass on a pre-fight, and I think it's fairly valued kind of on average. But if we know which Amanda Nunes we're going to get here, this one should either be about minus 500 or close to a pick right? So if we get the Amanda Nunes who came in kind of unmotivated, not in great shape, not training that hard for the first Juliana Pena fight – this should probably be a pick em. I think Aldana is everywhere. Every bit as good as Juliana Pena is. But as we saw in the second Pena versus Nunez fight, that's still nowhere near as good as a prime motivated Amanda Nunez. But there's so many questions, right? I think she has a second child on the way. She switched training camp. She's kind of training herself instead of with a big team. Does she really want it that bad? Or is she just kind of coasting, hoping she can pick up some late career victories and cash some checks here? That's the question we don't have the answer to, which is why I'm passing on this one pre-fight. Also, I think that's a really good reason to be looking to attack this live because we might know pretty quickly which Amanda Nunes is in there. And if she looks like, you know, she's hoping for a big first round knockout without really a plan B like she was against Juliana Pena, then Sean's angle is perfect there. And I don't know if we even need to wait till after round two, because if uh, Nunes empties the tank in round one, kind of looks sloppy, doesn't look that great uh, cardio wise. That's a perfect time. So, yeah, I'm, I'm passing pre-fight just because I don't know what we're going to see here. I do think live angles are the way to play this one, though. All right. Normally, when we do these UFC betting previews, gents, um, you both usually identify if you like the, the underdogs or if it's a good underdog card. Is it a good dog card? And Zarillo, do you have one that jumps out to you? Well, I'm taking Irene Eldado in the main event at a big dog price. I'm going to look to another woman's fight with Jasmine Jadisudovicius at plus 250. So taking two dogs already closer to plus 250, plus 265. Uh, Jasmine, three inches taller, four-inch reach advantage here, or vice versa. But physical advantages over Miranda Maverick, I think she can land takedowns. And Miranda Maverick gets stuck on her back for extended stretches. Maverick also is due for a split decision loss or a tough loss on the scorecards. Um, you know, a fighter tends to fight to the level over competition. I think she has the striking advantage here, but the reach advantage for just vicious can overcome some of that technique. And I think the wrestling is pretty comparable, but I think just vicious is less likely to get put on bottom than Maverick is. So given the fact that she's bigger, I think it'll be competitive, maybe slightly behind in the striking, but it should be close and competitive. And this fight is highly favored to go to a decision. We talk about that all the time, taking a big underdog in a fight that is likely to go to a decision, not to mention the fact that we're getting a Canadian fighter here in Canada. Jasmine just from over the border, Niagara Falls type area on the Canadian side, but we'll be getting the majority of the crowd support if the striking is close. We'll be getting the cheers when she lands takedown. So going with the hometown fighter here in a fight, I expect to be close and competitive. That is highly lined to go to a decision. It's just an easy play, not to mention the physical advantages on top of it. So Jasmine to sit a vicious down to about plus 250. I think is a very sharp underdog bet for Saturday. Billy favorite underdog for UFC 289 in Vancouver. Yeah, this one was hard to choose. There's actually 
I'm kind of with Sean. There's a lot of underdogs I like here. I'm not taking as big of a swing as he is on these plus 250 or so lines. I do like Eric Anders, your boy, at uh, plus 115 or so. This has moved around throughout the week. He's another one I talked about in my luck rankings, but he just has a couple of advantages here. I think the technical striking against Marc-Andre Berrialt probably favors Berrialt. But Anders has so much more power, right? He's got basically double the knockdown rate inside the UFC, way more stoppage abilities. And Anders has the takedown advantage here. So it's one of those fights where Barry Alt needs to be winning the minutes on the feet. And if Anders is losing, he has the option to take this to the mat where Barry Alt doesn't. Anders also a much better athlete, you know, played for the University of Alabama, played football there when they won a national championship. I worry a little bit about his cardio. So if Anders dominates early and we get a big juicy price on Barry Alt after round one or after round two, might hedge off a little bit there. But it's just kind of one of those, you know, two out of the three phases type plays where I think having the power advantage on the feet and the ability to be the one to take it to the mat if you need to is enough that it's slight plus money. I'll take it. Okay, let's dive into the fight of the night. I'm I'm interested here because I, I think there's some uh, differing opinions on this one. We got Dariush, the favorite, Charles Oliveira plus one twenty. Zerillo, we'll go to you first here. Uh, Oliveira plus one twenty four now at FanDuel, uh, recording here on a Friday morning. This is the most intriguing UFC fight in months. Um, there's been a it's lot of lackluster card. cards, a mm-hmm. lot of uh, milk toast main events. This milk is toast. the most exciting UFC fight there's been in months, and I'm legitimately looking forward to this one. Um, so in the words of Billy Ward, this is a fight you might want to bet and also watch. Yeah, I mean, this is. <laughs> I don't need to bet on this fight to enjoy it. Good. I have a bet on this fight, but I don't need to okay. bet on this fight to enjoy. It. <laughs> um all right give it to me both guys very fragile fight highly likely to end inside the distance i believe it's minus 300 ish would not bet that maybe an under one and a half if you want to get aggressive at plus money because i think somebody does get finished here but in terms of a bet terms of finding betting value charles the bronx inside the distance at plus 200 he's finished 91 percent of his career fights um, 30 of his 33 wins. He has two decision wins in the UFC. He beat Jeremy Stevens in 2014 in the tough finale on the tough finale card. He also beat Tony Ferguson a couple of years ago. He snapped Tony's leg. Tony refused the tap. And then we saw in Tony's next fight, he couldn't really move around well. So one decision loss in his career too for Charles. It was in 2013 versus Frankie Edgar. All gas, no breaks. We're going to talk about another fight on this card, too, with the fighter who's all gas, no breaks. But Charles Oliveira, I mean, just comes forward, extremely aggressive, and he's looking to finish the fight as quickly as he can, cause chaos. Uh, I think Benil is a much more measured fighter, unlike a Justin Gaethje, who is going to swing with Charles. I think Benil is going to be much more careful about how he approaches this fight. I think he has the wrestling advantage. And I think Charles is willing to accept takedowns too because he's fine playing jujitsu off of his back. But against the fighter like Benil Dariush, who's a very dangerous Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner, very good defensively in terms of his jiu-jitsu, that may be a recipe for disaster because I think Dariush can get on top of him, do some damage, hold him there, uh, like we saw with Islam Makachev. You know, Makachev was able to put Charles on his back, control him there, stay safe. I think Dariush's grappling is good enough to do that. But if I'm betting a side in this fight and looking for value at a number, Charles inside the distance, I think, is the bet just because relative to his finishing ability, where I have it priced, I priced it closer to plus 160. I just think there's value in the number. 
Um, if I was going the other side, I might lean Dariush by decision or Dariush over just because, you know, saying being parlay with the over, just because I view him as the better minute winner, probably in this fight. Charles, like more aggressive, crazy pace, but Benil, I think with the wrestling and the top time, that's how it gets to a decision. And that would be his win. So yeah, you know, Dariush decision, Charles inside the distance. I think that's where the value is on this fight. I don't disagree with Billy's take. He's going to give it to you in a second. I think this is a really fun fight. I think you can go either direction just on, on trying to find a value on it. I think Charles to finish is generally an underrated prop in the markets. And I think it is here again. Dana White uh, said earlier in the week that he's not committed to giving the winner of this fight, uh, the next UFC lightweight title shot. He said, we'll see what happens. Uh, so Billy, you Billy, I feel like you're going back and forth on this one because the value you think Oliveira might be slightly undervalued, but the line is going back too far the other direction where Dariush might be your play. What, what are you thinking? It was, it was a tough one. And I actually hundred percent agree with Sean. I don't see why Oliveira's inside the distance odds and his money line odds are not the exact same number or like mm-hmm. five cents off. Mm-hmm. Like he's not going to win a decision in almost any fight, but especially in this one. So Darius, actually, Sean made all the points I wanted to make while somehow coming at a different conclusion. But <laughs> but Darius is stylistically very reminiscent of Islam Makachev, and we saw how that fight played out with Oliveira. You know, much better wrestler. I would argue that Darius probably has better striking than Makachev, but worse wrestling. But it's, you know, reasonably close in either direction. And the problem with Oliveira's style is he does a lot of playing possum when he fights these tough strikers. Oliveira knows he can't get the takedown, so he waits for you to hit him, and then he falls to his back like you hurt him, but he's not really hurt. He's waiting for you to jump in and get a submission. And that works great against loose cannons like Michael Chandler, Justin Gaethje, Dustin Poirier. I don't think that's going to work as well against Darius. One, because Darius, as Sean pointed out, much more measured style. Two, and I didn't really know this until I was researching this week, Darius was a world champion in Brazilian jiu-jitsu at blue belt, at purple belt, at brown belt. By the time he was a black belt, he was competing in the UFC, so he stopped doing that. But that's not to say he's not as high level, of, or he is as high level of a jiu-jitsu guy as Oliveira, but he's got really good submission skills too, and he doesn't need to tap Oliveira. He just needs to not get tapped himself. So if he hurts Charles on the feet, Charles tries to play possum, looks great for Darius on the judges if he lets him back up and you know it looks like he's knocking him down. Or he can just win minutes on the ground, staying safe inside of his guard in a way that some of these other fighters weren't able to. I'm torn because I think it's likelier that Oliveira goes for some desperate submissions that ends up getting himself finished on the ground if we're down there for a long time. Don't hate the value on Darius by decision as well, though, because if I'm Darius, I'm not really trying that hard to finish him. I'm trying to put him on his back, hold him there, beat him up. If a finish happens, great. So just because I'm so split on those methods, I'm fine with the money line. It slid a little bit away from what I liked it at earlier in the week. You can still get like minus 140, minus 145 if you shop around. I'd take it to probably about minus 160 before I start to think about, you know, the overs and the other stuff that Sean pointed out. Hi there, listeners. We're back to invite you to head into this sports betting summer with new gear built to last. And friends of the podcast, Shady Rays have you covered against the glare of that summer sun with premium polarized shades. Shady Rays is an independent sunglass company offering world-class products, durable frames, the clearest possible optics, and Shady Rays also offers the best protection plan in all of eyewear. How good is it? 
Well, every pair of their sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements. So what does that mean? Here's what they told me. It means if you lose or break your pair, Shady Rays will send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. Plus, if you don't love them, it's okay. You don't need to cry about it. You just exchange them for a new pair or even return them for free within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. And you can look good and feel good because to date, Shady Rays has donated over 20 million meals to fight hunger with Feeding America. That's nice. So exclusively for you, our beloved podcast listeners, Shady Rays is giving out their best deal. Go to ShadyRays.com and use code ACTION for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. And you can try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. Okay, let's move on to the prop market. Favorite prop on the board for the weekend, Sean Zarillo. Yeah, Billy and I are going to wrap talking about the same two fights here. Um, so I don't want to take too much thunder away from my best bet. But uh, Danny Gay inside the distance at plus 130. Billy's going to give out another similar prop on Ige. I actually would consider betting Ige round one as well. I think there's probably some value in that. We'll talk about that fight more in a minute. Uh, I'm going to do Chris Curtis and Nasruddin Imavov also to go to a decision of plus one or minus 128. Like that up closer to minus 140. Um, Curtis has knocked out several middleweights, but he is a natural welterweight. And Imavov doesn't have the best cardio, so I could see him getting finished late because Curtis tends to build into his fights. The longer his fights go, the more success he seems to have, ripping the body, big part of his strategy, so he can wear down opponents. But Imavov will play the outside game and will try to win minutes, similar to how Jack Hermanson won minutes against Chris Curtis. So I think the pace of this fight, the distance of this fight, I don't see Imavov giving Curtis a lot of pocket exchanges that are going to necessarily force a big finish. I think it's likely we get a very technical outside range kickboxing boxing match here where both guys play chess and I don't think it'll be super high volume. So Curtis Imavov to go to a decision, minus 128, set to like it up closer to minus 140. Hopefully Chris Curtis finally goes to a decision. He went to a decisions a ton when he was a welterweight. Now that he's up at middleweight, he keeps knocking people out, but fight to go to a decision there. Billy, where are we looking? Prop market this week. Yeah, really, really excited to watch both the fights that Sean mentioned, but he mentioned Dan Ige inside the distance at plus 130. I'm officially going with Dan Ige by knockout at plus 170. It honestly just depends on what book you're looking at, the discrepancy between those two lines. The knockout is by far the more likely way he finishes Nate Landwehr, just because that's what Dan Ige does. Um, Dan Ige is one of the better technical strikers at 145, solid power. And he does a really good job of fighting as the shorter, you know, with less reach fighter, right? He cuts off the cage really well. He switches in and out of left and right-handed stances when his opponents are trying to get away. And he can generate a ton of power in a super short distance, you know, just great dirty boxing, great cage work, all of which is a huge problem for a tall, skinny, weird mobile like Nate Landwehr. Nate Landwehr takes over five and a half significant strikes per minute in the UFC, which is terrible. Like if you look at, you know, the average is somewhere in the threes. And he's kind of got by on having a pretty tough chin and some solid cardio so far. But everyone has a good chin until they don't. And Landwehr hasn't fought anyone with nearly the technical striking of Dan Ige. He's fought some guys who kind of swing wildly at him. Ige's going to march after him, just continue to pepper him with short, tight shots until he finds the one, gets home. 
little worried about the knockout prop just because when you're fighting a guy who refuses to quit like Nate Landwehr, sometimes the easiest thing to do is just snatch up his neck instead of continuing to try to hit him and wear yourself out. So I don't begrudge anyone, you know, if you want to take the inside the distance. Looking at the fan duel lines, the difference between them was enough that I wanted the knockout prop, but depending on what book you're at, what price you get, they've bounced all over the place over the last couple of days. No problem with either one of those. And then if you want to hedge that, you know, Sean mentioned Ige round one. If Ige just puts a beating on him for a round, round and a half, two rounds, and Landwehr is still there, go ahead and fire off Landwehr live, right? It's a good hedge. He has insane cardio, refuses to quit. So if for whatever reason, Ige can't get him out of there. I do think Landwehr late, Landwehr, you know, over one and a half, those kind of plays are a solid hedge on this. Okay, and before we go, we get to our final bets. It's like what we do with payoff pitch with baseball, Zarello, right? We, we believe in all of these. We want these all to go uh, successfully. Last one before we get out of here. What do you got? Yeah, I did bump the staking up on this one slightly. So a true best bet. Yeah, uh, going back to the same fight, Danny Gay versus Nate Landwehr. Fight to end inside the distance at minus 135. I thought this would be minus 200. The pace here should be fucking insane. Like insane. Uh, it's a three-round fight. Both guys have excellent cardio. I'd say both guys, or Dan Ige in particular, is has above-average durability, if not exceptional durability. But the pace that Nate Landwehr is going to fight at here is enough to break down any person. If Nate drowns him and submits him in round two or round three, won't be shocked at all. Ige never finished inside the distance. Landwehr, Billy said he has... Uh, good durability or good chin. I would actually say he is a bad chin. He is incredible recoverability because he gets knocked down in almost every fight, but he seems to just pop back up to life. Like they gave him bath salts almost immediately. Um, but against Dan Ige, who hits very hard. I had a bet on Dan Ige versus Gavin Tucker to go to a decision. Uh, Dan Ige knocked him out in 22 seconds. Dan Ige and knocked him out stiff in 22 seconds. Danny Gay hits very hard, and his nickname is 50K. He goes for the bonus checks. But I don't think Nate Landwehr is going to necessarily recover if Danny Gay hits him clean. If you haven't seen Nate Landwehr versus David Onama, go back and watch that, because that's one of the craziest fights of last year. But Landwehr was knocked down multiple times in that fight and was kind of out on his feet and was able to recover. If Danny Gay hits him clean like that, I think he's going to sleep. So... Agree with Billy, Danny Gay by knockout, but I'm also, I prefer Danny Gay inside the distance at plus 130, a shorter price, just because five knockouts, five submissions in his career, he does know how to snatch up the submissions. And against the stunned fighter who may be trying to cover like Nate Land, where maybe instead of trying to finish him with ground and pound, you go in and lock in that rear naked choke to put him away. So Ige Land, where fight in inside the distance, the pace should be utterly insane here. This might be a bet where you're screaming at your TV for somebody to finish for 15 minutes and nobody does just because they're both so durable uh, and very tough guys. But yeah, I, I think you just kind of have to bet this fight at this price to end by finish. It's it's going to be as likely of a pace to finish a fight as anything you'll see. It's going to be nuts. And looking to the prelims card, a name we've brought up already, Chris Curtis. Billy, you're backing Curtis for your best bet. But before we get to that one, I would talk about Ige Landwehr all day if you guys let me. But yeah. no, Sean made a really good point. It's not his chin that's so good. It is his ability to get knocked down, somehow just brush it off and keep going. But, you know, he's 35. He did take mm -hmm. five or so knockdowns in his last fight. Mm -hmm. 
maybe he recovered from some of those, but the next time around he doesn't. So yeah, just super excited for that fight. Love Sean's angle too. There's there's really no bad way to bet this one other than betting on variations of it being a boring fight. But um Which would be the worst bet. sweat you could possibly imagine. Yeah, you just <laughs> please don't anyone like don't root against fun because you'll also lose money doing it. <laughs> yeah, Especially in this fight. My best bet going with Chris Curtis money line. Sean hit on a lot of the points that I was going to cover on this one. Curtis throws more volume, which is great if it does go to a decision, because sometimes even if you don't deserve it, you kind of just get the optics of being the guy who threw more. It's another luck ratings play. You know, his two losses are to Jack Hermanson, who kind of just ran away from him. And then his last fight was against Kelvin Gastelum. Curtis really should have won that fight. He was kind of wobbled with a headbutt in a round he otherwise won that the judges then gave to Kelvin Gastelum. So, you know, really should be 5-1 and one in the UFC. The Hermanson fight was pretty rough. Sean talked about Imovov playing around on the outside. Imovov is five inches taller, half an inch shorter reach. Curtis actually has the reach advantage here, which that's one of those trends that I really like to play just because Curtis should be stronger, have more power, but also not be sacrificing any reach. So Gastelum... Imovov can't do that dance around on the outside as effectively as Hermanson did. I think Sean's angle's sharp too, probably decision the most likely here. If Chris Curtis is smart, he's not, you know, running in guns blazing, trying to put him away. He's just doing his thing, landing his body shots, racking up volume. If a finish happens, great, but he shouldn't be really hunting for it. But to get Chris Curtis at plus money, I think he's just the better overall fighter here. Not really much grappling we have to worry about. Neither man goes for it. Curtis also 100% takedown defense in the UFC through six fights, including against some tough grapplers. So just kind of like that one all around at plus money. All right, gents. By the way, those of you that uh, are interested in more UFC betting content, uh, we'll be together for the weigh-in, which is the Action Network video team side, uh, giving more extensive breakdown of UFC 289. So check that out. Uh, on the video side, it will beam that out on Action YouTube as well as the uh, Action socials. So check that out uh, if you so please. For Sean Zarillo, Billy Ward, Brendan Glasheen, thanks for tuning in to our UFC betting preview. UFC 289 going down from the Rogers Arena in Vancouver this weekend. Thanks for listening to the Action Network podcast presented by FanDuel. Have a great weekend. Talk to you next week. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.